0: How do you deal with criticism as a writer? Let's find out with today's guest, Tim Urban. Welcome to another episode of Question Everything, where we connect young leaders with experts in entrepreneurship, publishing, and design. I'm your host, Carly Sodas, and today I'm speaking with Tim Urban. Tim is the co-founder, illustrator, and author of Wait But Why, which is probably the best blog on the web. Tim has a way of finding humor in the serious and awkward parts of life, and taking complex questions and explaining them in a thoughtful and humorous way. I was first introduced to Tim's work when I was preparing for a TEDx talk and watching every TED video I could to prepare. And as I was procrastinating writing my own talk, I came across his TED talk about procrastination, which has nearly 7 million views. In today's episode, Tim shares some of the lessons he learned while studying at Harvard, and why he believes focusing on building friendships and studying subjects that you are passionate about is more important than focusing on grades. Tim also talks about how he's learned to deal with criticism by putting it into context, and how he overcame his fear of sharing his writing online. I'm really excited to have Tim on the show today, so thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Now you started Wait But Why in 2013, but I'm sure that there was a long journey leading up to that. Could you tell us more about how you first got started in writing?
1: Yeah, um, I actually had a blog before Wait But Why called Underneath the Turban. Uh, I'm not sure where that name came from, but um, <laughs> it started in um, started that in 2005, just purely as a hobby, and because you know if. You said, you had a chance to watch my TED Talks. You understand that I'm a procrastinator. And, um, you know, what procrastinators do is there's, there's nothing they'll invest more in than their hobby because it's not what they're supposed to be doing. And so I, I ended up, you know, I wrote probably 300 blog posts over a six year span that, you know, until about. 2011. And I would do it, you know, weekends, I would do it nighttimes. And then I would do it sometimes when I was supposed to be doing other things, which then, you know, pushed my other things to weekends and times. So uh, I, I was I was quite productive with it. But it was still very much a side thing. And so that that ended around, you know, I, 2011, I got distracted with a bunch of other things and just didn't have time for it anymore. And it was about two years later in mid 2013. That um, my business partner and I, and we had this other company that we had started in about 2007. You know, we, we were talking about what's an, you know a kind of another project that could be interesting to start, and you know, we didn't really need both of us working at the company uh, full time in order for the company to continue to grow because we had this great staff at this point, and. I was feeling particularly antsy to be doing something creative, and so we kind of put that all together and decided that starting kind of a some kind of you know we didn't know what it was a content site or a blog or something would be an interesting idea, and so that was the beginning of Wait But Why, you know. And, and Andrew, my partner, he continued to you know grow our company. and He's still doing that now. It's a, like a, an ed tech tutoring company based in LA. Um, so for the last three years, I've been writing Wait But Why and growing that here in New York, and. That that's kind of how how that got you know that got started and the the idea kind of came from the fact that I had been blogging for this six years and you know we both knew that that was something I, I could do and that we could that's a really and you know on one hand it's a really easy company to start you don't need any money you don't need any staff if one of the founders is a writer you can just have. Um, uh, you can have its lowest possible overhead company to start, and it totally fulfilled me creatively. But it also has a lot of potential. It's like you know, it can turn into a big platform, and so th- that's why it seemed like a good idea for us.
0: What did you learn from the previous blog that you had written that you were able to apply to wait? But why?
1: Well, I learned that. Well, one of the things I was able to do over six years of you know, writing three hundred posts was was just kind of find my writing voice you know it's not always obvious it's not necessarily the same as your speaking voice but it it, but it could be it could be very it could be very similar to your speaking voice or totally different and some people like to write in a real style that's not how they would ever talk and that's that can be great that's art you know that's art there it's not that different than acting you know writing a character in in a movie you know writing writing your character in a book so so some people do that and then other people are are, are almost their identical selves like I, I feel like you know someone like Louis C.K., you know, is very close to his real self in his, in his kind of professional persona. So part of the finding your voice is just figuring out where you want to be on that spectrum, where it feels most natural, where it caters best to your talents. And so for me, it was definitely, you know, much closer to the real voice side uh, then because I, I, I don't and I still don't really consider myself like a writer. I'm not like, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to like sit down in a cafe and get inspired and do my writing. That's not, I, It's more like I get excited. As I'm thinking about something that I'm excited about. And then I want to, you know, communicate that in like an easy to read and fun and like maybe funny way. So it's more of a, are you a communicator or are you like a writer? Um, and so th- that was what I was mainly, I think that's what the main one of the main values that came out of that. Uh, another thing that came out of it, is just realizing that like you'll get out of putting a blog post out whatever you put in so the times when i would really work on it and really outline it and brainstorm and think about it and work on it for a long time and maybe do even do a bunch of you know drawings for it people would would really really like it in those cases and they would usually you know share it and it would just get more traffic and so it was kind of like a that's where i you know started to realize that quality is you know goes a long way uh you know Doubling the quality, you know, multiplies the the amount people like it and will share it by like ten or twenty. So that was another thing. And then, and then towards the very end of the time, doing the old blog, I started. You know, it's funny because we actually because we had a tutoring company that we started. We we, we had started doing a lot of um, our test prep online. So our tutors all needed to have these writing graphics tablets that they could write on, you know, to have an online whiteboard. So we had a bunch of those in our office just that we were experimenting with. And that's kind of, I was sitting there, I was late in the office one night, which is often when I would, you know, write blog posts, which is after everyone left sitting there alone late at night. And I just saw the tablet there and kind of thought, well, what if I use that for like to draw like a stick thing for this? Because this (laughs) is one particular idea I wanted to get out, which was the concept of someone when, I think it's funny when people, you know, you know, people put like a doppelganger of themselves on Facebook. It's hilarious to me when people put a doppelganger that's way better looking than they are. I just think that's like a super <laughs> funny phenomenon. And Like, I really enjoy that when that happens with no, you know, with no acknowledgement that that's what happened. Um, and so I was trying to illustrate that idea in, in writing. And then I was like, oh, if I could just like do a funny drawing of like the two things, like the real person and then their doppelganger, it's like that would be Perfect. So that, that was the beginning of that. And then I realized that that was, you know, it's like you, you try something and sometimes it doesn't work. And that, I was like, oh, that works. Like that's a really fun match for my particular like writing style. Like this is like a really fun thing. So now all these wait Y posts have drawings because of that. So, you know, I can name 10 more, you know, you learn so much just by doing stuff for a long time and getting feedback each time.
0: For sure. Sometimes I write things and I think that they're funny or clever, but then I'm like, wait a minute, what if I'm the only one who thinks that it's funny? And so I become too afraid to share it. Is that something that you struggled with a lot when you were first starting the blog and drawing stick men late at night?
1: Oh, of course, all the time. Um, I mean... The thing that made it doable was that I think if right away before I had ever blogged, if I said, I'm going to start a blog and announce it to everyone, and I, this is my new thing, so I'm going to quit my job and do a blog, I would never would have had the just belief in myself to do that. But the way I did it was the very first blog post, one person knew about, because it was a, fr- a friend of mine from college started a blog, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. So I like just started it, wrote a thing, sent it to him, I was like, look, I have a blog. So then I would just start doing it, just because it was kind of fun. And I, you know, maybe three or four friends started to know about it. And then a random person found it on the internet, which was super exciting. And then the, com- the comments would be positive. So then you get a little confidence because you get some feedback and then you start writing more. And by the time there's a lot of people reading, you know, you've written a hundred things and you know that people are liking what you're doing. Or at least the thing about a blog is that it doesn't have to be objectively good to everyone because there's no such thing. It has to be really good to at least one kind of person it's great. You're not like entertaining at a community theater where it's the same exact community and you have to figure out how, what they like. You can just like put out something that as long as it's good to someone, it's a worthy endeavor. So again, that makes it easier with writing. If you're putting it on the internet, it's like, if, if it's funny to you, then it means it's going to be funny to all the people that share your sense of humor. And if a friend of yours has a little bit different sense of humor, reads it and says, this isn't funny, you know, it's not necessarily objectively true. Now you still Often, you won't like your own stuff right away because, you know, it takes a while for your your skills to kind of match your taste. But I think blogging is at least one of the easier things to less risky feeling things to get into as an amateur.
0: How have you dealt with the criticism for people who maybe don't share your sense of humor? Is that something that you knew right off the hop? Like, I can't make sure that this appeals to everybody. Or were you really afraid of not appealing to everyone?
1: No, because there were no stakes. You know, there was no pressure. This was like... You know, I I really was... I was also doing, like, music stuff on the side, which is that I really cared about that stuff. The blog was, like, the extra side thing that I really was just doing for fun. Um, I wasn't taking it seriously, which... And in that case you're not really putting yourself out on a limb that much. And the internet's so busy that just throwing a random blog up there is not really like, you're not really in front of everyone or anything like that. Um, like as opposed to whether you're like, you know, you are coming up with a concert that you, for an album you wrote and you're inviting everyone, you know, I mean, that's much scarier, but you know, right away, of course, if you have a comment section on your blog, which I always have, so a lot of bloggers don't, but I think it's a really great, part of blogging is the community aspect if you have a comment section and if you also have an email address that people know you're going to get criticism period for the same reason that i said you only have to find one kind of person that likes your stuff and that's good because there's a lot of different kinds of people so there's probably going to be if if you think what you're doing is high quality there's going to be other people that agree with you for the same exact reason There's a lot of different kinds of people. There's almost definitely going to be someone that hates what you're doing. There's some kind of person that if they read it, they would hate it, either because the humor would annoy them or it would offend them or they would disagree with your points or they would think it was obnoxious or they would think it was self-indulgent or whatever it is. So you're going to hear that in the comments just because the people on the internet, strangers on the internet aren't often nice and you know that. You know, they don't, they're not worried about your feelings. They see you as a random narcissistic blogger out there trying to blah, blah, blah and I'm going to show and put him in his place. So, so yeah, you're going to get that early and I think that for me the key is it's not that I'm immune to that or I have a super thick skin. That definitely has an effect on me but what you know, naturally – if I wrote a blog post and there were five comments and they were all negative – That would be really, really, you know, discouraging. But for me, what thickens my skin isn't like, you know, isn't necessarily coming from within me. It's all the positive comments and emails you get that thickens your skin. So then when you get a negative one, you can immediately just be like, well, whatever. A lot of other people liked. it. I don't care. And so it puts the criticism into context. If you've heard a lot of other good things, then the criticism is very clearly just one person's opinion. But if that's the only thing you heard, you might think, oh my God, everyone's going to think this. This is bad, objectively bad. I suck. So the comment section can also be really, I don't know, it can build you a thick skin and then also, you know, make you have to defend that with other things that come on it.
0: Do you read a lot of the comments on your blog? I know that some people kind of stay away from that who are in your position.
1: I definitely try to read as many as I can. On the old blog, of course, I read every comment uh, and I'll wait for a while, but on certain posts that are more controversial or that people have a lot to say about, you know, there might be on a way but why? I'm, you know, fortunate to have a large readership. It means there's going to be, you know, hundreds of comments. And so, and these are thoughtful, long, thorough comments from really smart people, which means I want to read it carefully. So if I were going to, you know, really do it right and read them carefully and think about it, maybe respond to a bunch of them, it would End up taking up my week, so I don't do it as well as I'd like to. But I definitely try to at least skim through every comment. And for the first day or so, I'm reading them more carefully because I'm like very curious what people have to say about this new thing. Then when I get a feel for that, it's, you know, I can kind of look at a comment and get that okay, it's another one of those, or they're making this point again, or this is the same criticism, or this is the same kind of praise. But in general, it's like I, I think it's like such a great part of Wait but why It would be such a different place if it was just me writing silently with you know people can email but and I get why some people do that because it a is like maybe a little higher quality it feels like it's like a piece of art and you you know it's like this big like icky internet comment section like kind of (laughs) makes it maybe feel lower quality maybe for some people or they're just they really don't like the concept of getting criticized publicly but for me it's such a no-brainer because you attract a certain kind of people when you blog you attract people that happen to be interested and by the same things you are and that happen to be amused by the same things you are. And so when you when you have a comment section you're going to bring like your kind of people there mostly and it's just going to turn into this community of people you really like hearing about and hearing from. So for us it's very much a uh, positive thing.
0: On your blog you talk about an irrational and unproductive obsession with what people think of us. Do you think that's something that it's possible to overcome or that's something that we all just have to kind of live with?
1: Well, I think it's like a, a, a lot of things where if someone truly overcomes it, they're like a monk in me. <laughs> I mean, it's, there might be people who have done it, like hardcore Buddhists or something, or just like really, really wise people. I don't know very many. In fact, I'm like, I don't know one person. Um, some people on the aggregate have overcome it to a larger degree than others, some people, well, there's almost like three categories. There's people who have overcome a bunch of it. There's people who haven't, but they they know that it's irrational and they're working on it, and they get that it's irrational, so they've already kind of like taken away a lot of its, a lot of the power of other people's opinions. And then there's people who have no idea that it's such a problem in their life, and they're totally being run by it, or they're being run by their mother's opinion, or they're being mm-hmm. run by their boyfriends, or. Societies uh, you know or, or whatever, and they just don 't even realize it they think they 're being independent, and they don 't realize they 're like totally letting other people dictate their lives so I think that there's a range there and then and then of course it 's not this one factor: oh, I care what other people think or i don't it's well when it comes to my music, I care a lot when it comes to my uh, relationships i don 't give a crap, I will you know date whoever I want when it comes to the city I live in i'm Fiercely independent, but when it comes to the kind of business I want to start, I, if someone says they hate the idea, I, I quit. Cause I, so it's all, a lot of it's where how strong a core you have in each different area. It's not one solid core for
0: everything. You were um, a government major at Harvard University, and I can imagine that that would be a breeding ground for expectations and pressure and all the things you're describing. And I'm wondering how you dealt with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Har- Harvard's a weird place. It's like I made some of my best friends you know, in the world there. I uh, have some like just incredibly interesting, independent thinking, you know, nice people. And uh, it also, it has a just a huge range, though. It has, like, you know, all kinds of people I would never connect with. It has people I can't stand. Um, <laughs> it has people like I admire and I would never feel like I'm worthy of being their friend. So it's a weird environment. And uh, there is a lot of pressure on one hand. But on the other hand, like... I don't know. I felt like it's such a—it's just more like a lot of insanity all around you, and you just like I think start to see the people that are obsessed with their grades. They have one brand of insanity, and then the people that are like unbelievably ambitious for you know for something else—they're insane. And I think if you can start to not take it all that seriously, and then just kind of like not let it affect you that badly, and I think that's kind of what I did. I don't think I felt that much pressure from Harvard necessarily as much as I just did from my own internal like expectations for myself.
0: And being a procrastinator in college, how was that?
1: Oh, it totally like, ruined my ability to learn. <laughs> School is in just an absolute – well, it's not the worst situation for a procrastinator because at least there's deadlines so you won't completely like, abandon whatever you're doing. But the point of college or like, the point of classes at least is you're supposed to like, be learning and really like, changing the way you think and changing what you know. And I did that a little just, you know, again, eventually you have to write some paper, you know, you have to participate in class a little, so I would have to, but as much as I wanted to, I remember, I'm a curious person. Way, but why is, the entire exercise of way, but why is, like, me being a curious person It emerges from that, and liking to learn, so it's not that I didn't want to, it's that I just, I was a total uh, victim of my own instant gratification monkey, and I wouldn't do the reading, and I wouldn't know what I was talking about in class, and then I wouldn't, and then in class, I would tune out you know except for the rare time i would suddenly get locked in i would be obsessed and i could feel that like oh i I have such like a good student in me somewhere and he's just not at all present in most of these classes and then i would cram before an exam or a paper and to you know i didn't want to fail and like have like a actual embarrassment of a situation so i prevented that you know that that was the the panic was about that the panic in high school had been about oh my god i'm not going to get a's freshman year of college, I already botched that. So that was out. I wasn't going to have a really good GPA. And then I started deciding, you know, I created this storyline that I didn't need grades for anything I wanted to do anyway, which was a very convenient uh, storyline to suddenly create. <laughs> and then at that point, I did that. What, the panic didn't exist about that because I gave up on that. But the panic was about, like, don't get, like, really bad grades. So I, I did it well enough to get, like, a me, very mediocre GPA.
0: What advice would you give to the 20-year-old Tim in college?
1: I would say to follow your like excitement and well, first I would say you don't yet realize that the part of you that makes you procrastinate from stuff isn't like a joke and this is not something you're going to overcome easily and you need to like change habits, which is hard. You need to basically dedicate like half of your total energy to like working against this problem because I totally underestimated the problem for years and I always assumed I was just being a, you know, whatever. I was just being lazy. Uh, I, I'll shape up. No, it was, it was like a serious thing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I would say to um, – I was already kind of like this, but to really not worry about like what conventional wisdom says about what you should do with your life. Like wh- whether it's something that's a worthy activity or something that's possible. You know, you oh, one in a 100 people make it doing that. Like ignore all of that and figure out what you're just like super excited about. And I and I was lucky. that Some people have a hard time finding something they're excited about, and I feel bad for those people because that's really that that's a they have a whole step to figure it. You know, it makes it harder. I, one thing I had going for me is that I was really like genuinely passionate about a bunch of things. You know, music, writing, maybe business, like things I was excited about that all involve kind of creating something new. So I would just have told myself, you should be doing that stuff outside of college and in. If you can, don't worry about what sounds like a normal college major. I did government because it sounded normal. Huge mistake. <laughs> Should have done music. Should have done astronomy. Should have done you know creative writing. You know, I, I, so so many things that I really would have actually helped me dig into the things I cared about, and I didn't do any of that stuff. So um, the one thing I did do that I think um, some people uh, would benefit from this advice that I, I somehow knew already is just to not feel like you're wasting time when you're sitting around with people in college who you really like. When you're doing that, you're actually building incredibly deep lifelong friendships, which are really hard to build after college, especially when you're, you know, after you're 30 and that college is like a golden opportunity to really end up with more lifelong friends forever than you would if you didn't go to college, and so the time that you know you feel like oh I'm wasting time, and I'm not sure I was why is it that I knew I was doing this for a good reason. I think I hated myself when I was sitting around for six hours with friends and I should be working, but my procrastination actually kept me there, which turned out to be I think the more important than really any classes I could have taken in college because you know relationships really determine like your your happiness. I think
0: that's really good advice. One last question before you go. You have a way of looking at these weird and terrible parts of life, like procrastination, and making them funny and light. And I'm wondering how you stay so optimistic and are always looking at the bright side of things, even when you're talking about something that's not necessarily happy or bright.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of, like, cynicism and um, darkness that is inside of, like, my thoughts and my writing for Wait But Why. But I think there's even more, like, excitement and optimism. So I think there's both... But I think that um, the optimistic side tends to outweigh the other, just because. Just because I think that human happiness is so not based on external circumstances anyway. You know, all I have to think about is, is you know I'm not optimistic that everyone is going to get rich and everyone is going to be in a perfect marriage and we every and poverty is going to go away and. The climate's going to get fixed and, you know, like it's not that I'm optimistic that everything's going to be great. It's that I'm optimistic that human happiness is not really a rational thing based on external circumstances at all. So I'm optimistic that we can still figure out a way to like be happy in life by just getting better at like being in our own brain. And just by getting better at interacting with whatever's happening on the outside. And that doesn't seem that daunting. That doesn't seem nearly as daunting as trying to have every external circumstance actually go right. It seems like that is something we can work on. That's something we can do. And personal growth, like, you know, there's nature and nurture. People talk about those two things. But that's what you're given. You're given both of those. Now you have the rest of your life to either accept that or to improve it. And I just think there's so much room for improvement if it's something that we care about, or something we're working on, something we're prioritizing. And so as I just I'm always trying to encourage myself and readers to just keep thinking about that, keep improving, because we're we're all like life amateurs and we were raised by life amateurs who were raised by life amateurs. So like, <laughs> let's let's work on it. There's a low hanging fruit here. There's a lot of room for growth. Um, if we just, or, you know, try to try to stay conscious of it and like, you know, ref- self reflect and be self-aware. So I think that's probably where the optimism comes from.
0: And that's a really good way to look at things. Well, thank you so, so much for being with us and for your blog and just for reminding people what it means to be human.
1: Yeah, thanks, Carly. This was great.
0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of Question Everything. I'm your host, Carly Sotis, and each week we bring you inspiration and insights from creative minds and experts in entrepreneurship, publishing, and design. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can download the show at iTunes, SoundCloud, and at CITR.ca.